Strachan and Bell together. There's Cooper breaking through. A chance now. This will be the fourth goal for Aberdeen. Cooper puts it in with his when things are going wrong against you if you don't get the breaks of the ball Cooper in with Stewart he didn't really know where the ball was but he got the break and as you say it's a schoolboy's dream being able to take your time knowing that really all you got to do is crack it into the back of the net Hello, welcome to the first edition of Here We Go, the Aberdeen FC podcast. Thanks for following us to a new home and downloading the show. We'll continue to be a podcast for Dons fans, by Dons fans. And shifting podcast hosts guarantees that we can continue to do that without any possibility of outside influence. Now, my usual sparring partner, Martin Clunes, has his hands full with men in spandex this weekend, while our man Grant continues to be about as available as Tommy Holbin. But rest assured that both of them have come across uh, to this new show with me. But instead of them, we've lined up a fine selection of guests for this first rebadged show. Now first off, as we're contractually obliged to have a Martin on the show, we're delighted to have Martin Stone back with us. Martin, how are you doing? Evening, yeah, I'm good, thanks. Not too bad. Still uh, recovering from the, the terrible showing yesterday, but apart from that, yeah, it's pretty good. Excellent. Is that a terrible showing or the lots of beer you had to forget about the terrible showing? Yeah, yeah a lot of <laughs> Okay, around. good. Um, then we've got the man responsible for the Red Point of View blog, and obviously he also curates the very fine digital fanzine of the same name. It's Ryan Crombie. How are you doing, Ryan? I'm good. Um, delighted to be on this almost first show of the rebranded Don's podcast. Just a shame we couldn't um, have a win to talk about. All I'm going to say is, is when we started the podcast on the other uh, under the old name, we won seven league games in a row. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. They kicked <laughs> us off, and now we're we're here. We've lost to Kilmarnock for the first time in 69 games or something. <laughs> anyway, bringing up the rear, it's Mark Elric, graphic designer to the rich, famous. <laughs> And struggling <laughs> podcasts too. Now, if you've not bought a Dolly Digital product, are you really a Dawn's fan? I ask myself that every single time. Every single time I see uh, I see somebody commenting on uh, Aberdeen stuff, and I think, hold on, you haven't bought anything from me. Are you really? Are you really a Dawn's <laughs> fan? <laughs> uh, so yes, that's uh, that's one commercial interest. We'll always be happy to uh, to flog to you, good people. Um, so those are our guests, but yeah, we've got the unhappy task of looking back on what was a very disappointing 90 minutes against Kilmarnock. Um, so we'll talk about how that game went, but before we go there, uh, the lineup. Now some familiar names came back into the eleven, and uh, again started. Shea Logan started, and it was a very familiar shape with that four-two-three-one. What do you think about bringing back the experienced players, um, Martin, such as Nalm against, and leaving Stevie May in place, for example, rather than starting them, starting the likes of Frank Ross or Bruce Anderson? Yeah, I mean, I think I was a bit surprised to see um, again coming straight back in yesterday. That you know, I think he's <laughs> with the, the performance that he put in, uh, probably right to be questioned whether he should have been 
on the pitch at all. Really, he was uh, it was pretty terrible. Didn't really take his man on at all. Didn't didn't beat anyone the, the whole the whole game. I think uh, Ross Frank Ross especially could feel very unlucky um, to be to be dropping out to to make way for him again. I mean, I understand he's you know one of our highest earners and um, a kind of you know a first team, our first one of the first names on the team sheet but I think on, on form at the moment he, he shouldn't be in the team and I think uh, likewise with Stevie May really I think uh, Bruce Anderson's done more in his in his short spells than, than May's done all season so yeah a bit, bit disappointed really I think the St Mirren game you know when the McInnes unleashed the youngsters uh, it was it was looking pretty positive and I was kind of thinking that was going to be uh, the way forward McInnes was maybe you know doing less in the transfer market and, and going to put a bit more faith in the and the young players, but seems to have just kind of reverted to, to the standard lineup. And uh, yeah, it was uh, it was poor yesterday, even even given the the red card, it was it was not great showing. You know, going back to that lineup, speaking about the striking position in particular, I mean, strikers a lot of their games about confidence, isn't it? And Bruce Anderson, well, I don't know, many people keep track of what the reserves in the under twenties do, but he's been banging goals left, right, and centre, hasn't he? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm an advocate of getting Bruce Anderson in the team, I think. As Martin alluded to there in his short cameos that he's come on, he's looked more lively um, and eager to get just even about the pitch than Stevie May does. I don't know what is wrong with Stevie May. I mean, you look at his record for Aberdeen right now, and it's I think it's something like six goals in 40 games. It's not great showing um, for somebody that we've dished out quite a lot of money for. Um, and I think, honestly, that... The reason he's starting is I think McInnes just wants him to come good or he's just, he's hoping he does and he sort of pays him back for the money that he's paid because I think McInnes was very vocal about the fact that he was chasing Stevie May for three years so I don't think that he's, well it almost comes across that he's too stubborn to give up on him and then sort of admit defeat by sticking Bruce Anderson in the team but you do feel that it just needs a bit of freshening up up top because it's not working at the minute. Mark, we'd... We'd actually been encouraged, certainly on here, by the last couple of Stevie May displays, but and it's maybe a bit unfair. But I think you've got to take things into context with how the game went, and obviously we'll discuss that. But he was completely isolated on uh, Saturday, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. He was. Um, we all want him to come good, but it, it just isn't happening. And, and why that isn't happening, I don't know. Again, I'm an advocate of uh, Anderson coming in, and uh, he, he seems more mobile. He seems more enthusiastic. The fans seem to relate to him perhaps more than Stevie May. Um, but we all want him to do well. I think I was on a previous podcast after May's uh, debut and we're still saying the same stuff, you know. He, he's not he's not quite getting it. I don't know what the problem is. You guys maybe have some input into that, but um, it's just not happening for him. Well, what do you think is the problem, Martin? I mean, is it just that... His confidence has gone since those injuries, or, or is it just that he's not fitting into the way we usually try and play the game? What do you reckon? Yeah, I think it's probably more of the latter one, really. I don't think he's really, he doesn't look suited to to that kind of lone role up front, with, you know, with the kind of support coming in from the, the wings. And I think he'd probably be better with somebody playing up alongside him, somebody able to kind of feed the, the balls into him. But yeah, maybe maybe the injuries had a, an impact as well. Um, he definitely hasn't looked the same since since he's, he's came back. He seems seems cautious a lot of the time, almost. You know, when he's jumping for for headers and things like that, he, he doesn't really seem to be uh, looking for the, the physical side of the game as much. You know, he's, he's kind of he, he looks so he's a bit scared almost. So 
Yeah, some some time on the sidelines might be might be what he needs. Actually, just uh, you know, take him on for ten fifteen minutes when we're when we're winning games and see if we can get him back up to to where he was or where he, where we thought he was going to be at least uh, when we signed him. But yeah, I think Anderson's Anderson's done enough for me to to merit a an extended run out. He's uh, as other guys were saying, he's, he's got the energy. He's got you know, he looks lively when he comes to running. He looks so he's he's going to make things happen. Where, May just, just doesn't, you know, he's, I haven't got any confidence that he's going to do anything when the ball comes to him at the moment, so, it's absolutely, you know, it's, just, it's a shame for a guy, really, seeing him, seeing him so up against it, he's, uh, he doesn't look as though he's enjoying his, his football at the moment, that's for sure. Well, Bob Wilson, in terms of formation on Saturday, for the four minutes that we had before the red card, was it, um, Ferguson looked as if he was pushing up right alongside May, um, I think maybe there was a case of having identified the he really does need someone with him, whether that be a really advanced number 10 or whether that be a strike partner. But of course, all of that uh, fell by the wayside when uh, Michael Devlin got red carded with four minutes on the clock. Now, it is a foul. It's definitely a foul. I think the video footage that you can see today shows that there is probably a foul on him first. I've got to say from the south stand, I didn't spot that necessarily, but obviously at full speed, you're not necessarily going to see that. But the red card, even from where I was sat, which didn't give you a great uh, view of proceedings, did look quite harsh, Mark, because Eamon Brophy is a long way from goal. It's a ridiculous red card, though, is it? I mean, surely we're all going to be agreed on that. As you say, I didn't see it at the time, but he's definitely having a tug on Devlin. The ball also looks like he's kind of lost control of it. He, he knocks it quite far ahead of him. And then a little a little touch on him, and, and he goes down. He's immediately up. He's in the referee's face. Uh, maybe we want a player to do that if it was if it was the other way around. But uh, a red card, three minutes in, four minutes in, it's it's suddenly the the Craig Thompson's show, isn't it? You know, it's 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 all about him. He he couldn't wait to get his red card out quick enough. He was he was immediately reaching to his pocket, and he he's not last man. It's not dangerous. It's not a goal score, scoring opportunity. It's a it's a ridiculous red card. So is anyone going to disagree with Mark? Does anyone think uh, there was justification for a red card? Uh, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's maybe not surprising that on an Aberdeen podcast that would be the case, but um, certainly any kind of neutral discussion that I've seen of that probably backs that up too. It, it seems incredibly harsh. Clearly, as Mark says, the, the Kilmarnock players are right round the referee as soon as. Uh, Brophy does a swan dive. You know, there is cover in behind him, and yeah. It put it behind the eight ball, but it shouldn't have had that much of an impact on, on the way we played subsequently. Now, we made a sub almost immediately after uh, the goal. Well, not quite after the goal, but after the corner that uh, came from the free kick that they got for the foul. The free kick was taken a good 15 yards further forward from where the foul was, but let's overlook that. Dominic. Uh, Dominic Gleeson? Is that right? That's not right. Stephen Gleeson. <laughs> Stephen Gleeson. It's Dominic Ball. <laughs> Jesus. You'd have thought after 124 shows I'd know these guys' names. But Stephen Gleeson was brought off. Dominic Ball brought on. Now, clearly he had to bring on a centre-half to replace Devlin. But were you quite surprised that uh, he took Gleeson off? Do you think it was right to keep the width on the park with uh, both Mackay Stephen and McGinn on? Because we did have two attacking fullbacks with uh, Ryan Lowe having made his debut there yesterday. That's for you, Ryan. Uh, probably not. I would say that he... I mean, it's easy to suggest in hindsight, isn't it? But Gleason's the kind of player you want on the pitch when you're playing counter-attacking football, which is what 
we would have been playing for the majority of the game. And I don't know, I would have even taken Stephen May off. You see the striker gets sacrificed quite a lot um, when teams go down to 10 men and even stuck McGinn through the middle or something like that. But it allows you to still have that sort of the the midfield that you started the game with and the understanding there between the defence and the midfield and then just sort of that core sort of shape in, in the centre of the pitch. But he was um, very quick to take Gleeson off. Um, I think Gleeson himself looked a bit surprised when he um, looked over and saw his number up on the board. But I would say it definitely had an impact not having somebody sitting in midfield because we kept getting caught out quite a lot when we were kind of pushing forward um, on sort of counter-attacking. Uh, I would say that it was a, a tactical error. Now, you've got a contrast, I think, the way we handle playing with 10 men versus the visitors on the first day of the season, the Rangers, a few weeks ago. And um, Martin, it, it's looked that day as if we'd never actually trained playing against 10 men. And it kind of looked yesterday as if we'd never actually uh, trained to adapt to going down to 10 men. It, it was We were so shapeless for a large part of the game. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that's probably one of the reasons I would have kept uh, Gleeson on the park was, you know, he's he would be the one in the middle of the park that would be, you know, making sure we keep our shape and uh, kind of maintaining a bit of discipline in there. But yeah, seeing him go off and then keeping the two wide guys on, as you say, it's a bit, bit of a strange one. Um, and we just didn't look as though we had a, a plan, as you say, really. You know, you would have expected us to be maybe sitting back and soaking up a bit of pressure and then trying to hit him on the break, but we just, you know, we didn't do that. We didn't String any real passages I play together. It was it was really poor, really disjointed. You know, I suppose losing a player in the second minute, third minute, whatever it was, is is going to knock the team a wee bit. So you know, so early on, but you'd have thought after maybe ten minutes, it would have set, they would have settled down and, and found a bit of a bit of rhythm. But no, it just it just didn't happen. And it was uh, yeah, I think it's easy to point to the red card and say like well, it changed the game. It, it definitely did, but. Even you know, even kind of considering that, I think it was it was a poor it was a poor performance. Um, and you know, a few games into the season now, we're we're not looking too great. I don't think. We're um, to wonder if it's going to be a, a long hard season and um, the way the way it's panning out. Um, certainly, haven't seen too much to to get excited about so far. Yeah, we'll come back to that more general point later on. Um, I just wonder. First 15-20 minutes, I think, yeah, it was a bit of a shambles and looked like Kilmonic were causing us problems every time they came forward. But things did settle down and it did look as if we were going to get to half-time maybe at nil-nil. Then, of course, they score right before half-time. Now, again, there seems little point debating this because it's happened, it wasn't given. But, Mark, do you reckon that was handball in the build-up to their first goal? Do you reckon it was handball? Well, it wasn't deliberate and that's, that's the wording, isn't it? It definitely wasn't deliberate, but it helps him control the ball as well. Yeah. So he's he's being given an advantage through it. So whether he, you guys are probably more clued up on the rules of of association football than I am, but he controls it with his hand, deliberately or not. It's still controlled with his hand. So the referee should blow there. But there's no way that linesman was giving us anything anyway, and Thompson wasn't going to either. So. Yes, it should be a free kick to Aberdeen. I make the point about linesman during the course of the game, and if it's on the referee's blind side, the linesman, the assistant referee, he's had a shocker as well, because it's up to him to see it, and it's up to him to inform the referees. But we've come to this point before, uh, Ryan, 
some assistant referees are just not going to make calls like that. They're going to wait for the referee to do it. I look back at no. last week, the Lewis Ferguson penalty kick. The first thing you see um, the referee do is look to his assistant for guidance. And there's nothing coming from his assistant whatsoever. He's waiting on the ref to make a decision. And you see that so often, don't you? Yeah, I mean, I think it's almost because they're scared to. Um, I mean, but if it's going to help the referee out and then stop a torrent of abuse um, by making the right decision, then you would suggest that they should probably pipe up in the referee's ear um, with what they've actually seen rather than pretend to sort of throw a blind eye to it and just wait for the referee to take all the flack, if you like. Linesmen seem to be only there to make offside decisions, um, and even that they do, don't do very well half the time. So it's a beggar's belief, to be honest. More just laughable um, than anything else. Because, yeah, it is ultimately going to be the referee's decision, whatever he hears in his ear from the assistant referee. But, uh, but Martin, a call like that... You know, it, it seems to be there's little debate about it. Again, it is it's clearly hit his hand. I think you'd have to say that in most instances, even though it wasn't deliberate, Mark's right. It's controlling it with his hand. It's helped him to move up the pitch. It's got to be a free kick. Yeah, it certainly looked like it from my point of view. Funny you're saying that about the, the fourth official and the assistant referees. I think it was uh, something that came up in the dangerous salty game today that the the guy on the side was. Uh, saying stuff in the referee's ear uh, in the build-up to the, to the Celtic goal, so it definitely, it definitely does happen. And, uh, yeah, it's obviously had such a big uh, impact on the game, but, uh, as you say, it was, uh, it was one of them that maybe maybe wasn't a deliberate, but it was, it was without that touch, you know, he's, he's not scoring, basically. So, uh, yeah, just a, I mean, the, the, the referee performance all day was, was pretty terrible, really. The, the uh, the ref and the uh, south stand uh, linesmen were both just an absolute shocker, really. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's one of them. It seems to be McInnes was saying after the game that it, these things even themselves out over the season, but it's a it's a hard one to take at the minute, that's for sure. By no way are we letting off the side because it was a absolutely woeful uh, well second half in particular. I thought you you felt that maybe they might be uh, fired up by what happened at half time, but. Second half, we created absolutely nothing. It was a reminder, I think, actually of uh, that opening league game of the season. Really, really ponderous on the ball. Kept losing it in midfield. Resorting far too often to just to punt up front. Could easily have lost by many more, couldn't we, Ryan? And of course, the icing on the cake for the visitors is that second Greg Stewart goal. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not too sure. I think a lot, I've seen a lot of people say, where was that last season for Aberdeen? Um, pretty ridiculous, to be honest. I mean, good feet. Um, and a good turn of pace, but absolutely ridiculous defending from Considine and Ball for to even allow that sort of attack to progress, if you will. But just on Aberdeen, um, as you sort of mentioned earlier, there just doesn't seem to be a game plan there at the minute. I don't know. There's no clear, defined style of play, and they don't really look like they know what they're meant to be doing when they get into the forward areas and we're kind of stumbling our way through matches to be honest I mean if you break down the league games it was kind of a lucky last minute winner against uh, Rangers a penalty to beat Dundee um, a fumbled goal against Hibs from a corner um, and totally hopeless against Dun- uh, Kilmarnock so there's definitely sort of a lack of creativity in the team and at the minute they just don't look like they're getting much guidance from the sidelines as to how to go about solving that problem um, and it doesn't bode well 
given the fact the transfer window's shut. Um, we can't bring anyone else in. Five points in 12 doesn't look great, does it? Even eight out of 12, it has to be said, would have felt like a regression from where we've been used to being under the current manager, Mark. Um, are the alarm bells starting to go with you? No, I'm, I'm Mr. Positivity. If, if we had won, and I know it's, it's, it's you know, if your Maz got Baz, but if we'd won, we'd be second. That's the sort of analysis we like. <laughs> it, it, but, you know, it, it, it's true. Had we won, we'd be sitting second, and we'd probably be quite happy with our Saturday night, and this would be a bit cheerier of a podcast. But but we lost, so we're in, what are we, seventh, eighth? So then, then maybe we start to kind of panic a little bit. I wouldn't say I'm panicking, but... The points made by Ryan there are spot on. It has been kind of lucky goals. We're, apart from the League Cup win against St Mirren, I don't think we've scored more than one in a game. You know that's not going to that's not going to breed confidence. That's not going to win you games either. To be honest, yeah, I, I said after the St Mirren game that that's probably the best game of football, best performance I've seen from us in a while. And then just two weeks later, and I know it's a different team, but two weeks later, that's probably the poorest performance I've seen. In some time, so we've we've got we've got issues that we need to sort, but we can't be a million miles away from fixing them either. A replacement for for Rooney would have uh, would be helping us. Is is Anderson the the the, the key to that? Is he going to fix that? Is is May going to come good? It's goals that we need to be scoring. Okay, so that's a positive outlook, uh, Martin. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you can always allow me to give the, the negatives. Um, I think the you know the points tally is not not great, but the bigger worry for me is the the style of play, and the lack of lack of plan really. You know, it's uh, the, the St Mirren game was the one where I thought yes, we're finally seeing some you know some positive signs here. The young guys were, as I said before, the young guys were kind of unleashed, and I thought yes, yeah, is going to be how how the season's going to pan out. You know, we're going to see these kind of young, exciting players coming on and then as I say we've kind of just reverted back to, to type a wee bit um, yeah I think for me I would I would be having another right out injured at the moment but I'd certainly be having right Frank Ross Anderson uh, you know getting a lot more game time even I like to Dean Campbell you know he's uh, he's done well in the little cameos that he's had get, get him on the, on the park a bit more I think we're, we, we look like a different proposition when we've got these young guys playing with a bit of energy you know high press Going at teams with a bit of pace, um, it's all just a bit too predictable at the moment. With the likes of May and, and McGinn, and um, you know even Mackay Stevens, sometimes I know he's been probably our best player so far this season. But you know if he's if he's having an off day, he has a he has a really off day. I think McInnes is going to have to bite the bullet eventually and, and get these get these young guys playing a bit more. Otherwise, um, I just can't see that you know the likes of McGinn especially clicking and 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 kind of regaining the form that he that he had before. It's uh, it's looking more and more like a strange sign that taking him back on an extended contract. He was, he was kind of looking as though he'd uh, run his race when he was here before. I thought, I thought he was kind of on the, you know, on the downward uh, slope. Uh, so to see him coming back and getting signed up, what the cat was a bit, bit of a shock, really. We'll see. Um, it's going to be. I think the, the, break, the international breaks come at a good time. It gives him a couple of weeks to, to get the players in and, and you know get a bit more work done on the on the kind of the training ground and uh, hopefully we. We hit the ground running after the after the break. The whole argument about uh, about wanting to see youth, we all want to see youth break through. But do you think people would actually be happier with five points from twelve if no. Dean Campbell had started every week or if uh, Frank Ross had played yesterday? Do you think ultimately it would have made any difference to people's perceptions of where we are? 
Well, I guess uh, the, uh, the Petaudry crowd's not the, not the most forgiving uh, sometimes, so um, you'd like to think folk would give them a chance and, and realise that there are going to be inconsistencies when you're playing the, the younger players, but I suppose uh, that only goes so far. I think uh, if it was, uh, I'd still, people would still be getting on their backs, no doubt. But uh, I mean, I think most of the people I go to the game with and, and most of the folk I speak to are, are kind of chomping at the bit for, for these guys to get their chance. So I'd like to think folk would be a bit, you know, pragmatic about it and, and maybe take a few ups and downs if it meant getting getting these guys into the team and uh, them getting a regular game. You know, obviously McKenna was thrown in there last season and he. Uh, you know, he's obviously flourished. I think these guys have done well in the spells that they've had. So I can't, you know, I don't think that they, that they would have a negative effect, to be honest. I think uh, I, I, would, I would be giving them their chance. And, uh, you know, as I say, if, if there is a few ups and downs, then we, we take that on the chin. But certainly be, uh, yeah, that's, I'd, I'd certainly be my preferred option. Luke. Well, that was uh, the story of Aberdeen Nil, Kilmarnock 2 on Saturday. Now, do you like beer? We'll go and buy some from a bloody shop. Um, transfer window, <laughs> it slammed shut. Um, sorry, it didn't really slam shut, did it? It uh, gently glided shut last Friday night for Aberdeen. Uh, with not really that much happening. Max Lowe came on loan from Derby, made his debut uh, on Saturday. First of all, uh, what did we make of him on Saturday, um, Mark? I like the look of him, yeah. He... Uh Got up and down the wing well. He he looks defensively sound. He's not what I thought we needed for uh, the transfer window. But um, yeah, yeah, I liked him. I'd give him a 7 out of 10. Are we doing that out of 10s? 7 out of 10. Okay, we weren't doing it, but we are now. Where <laughs> uh, do you stand, uh, Ryan, on, on the great uh, Andrew Considine debate? Because frankly, it's a, it's a bit of a... Bit of a pivot point for the Aberdeen support, I feel. Um, are you surprised that we went out and got a another left back? <sighs> to an extent, but it is an area um, that I do feel we have to sort of recruit. And I mean, preferably it would have been a a permanent signing, um, not one until January. But I do think that low will make a difference, um, and I do feel that having attack and fullback on both sides, if you like, will have a positive impact on the team as um, Mark said I did really like the I did really like the look of Lowe um, I thought he provided a, a, an attacking outlet it looked comfortable on the ball and could pick a pass going forward as well um, it's just a shame everyone else around him was extremely, extremely poor but he did stand out for me as a well Aberdeen star performer anyway um, but you would say that there were other areas in the pitch that would have taken priority over a left back, just because I mean, you say that Constein's a bit of a, a pivotal, a pivotal talking point for Aberdeen fans, which is true to an extent. But um, up front was still a bit light, even a attacking midfielder, just given the fact that he doesn't seem to rate Forrester despite signing him for money um, in the in the transfer window. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a surprising uh, signing, but one that I think will turn out to be a good one. Yeah, the the first debate I think is maybe one which will be on for a few weeks. He looks already quite some way away from uh, his favoured eleven, doesn't he? Uh, when Derek McGinnis spoke around about this time last week about you know there was one position in the squad you wanted covering, are you really surprised, uh, Martin, that it, it was left back that uh, he was wanting to strengthen? 
Uh, yeah, I'd, yeah, I would uh, surprise me to pretty much sum it up, yeah. Um, kind of assumed it was a, a creative midfielder, really. Um, it's probably the one area where we're a bit, a bit lacking. Um, but yeah, I was, I was worried actually when, when it, it turned out to be low because I thought it was maybe paving the way for, uh, for McKenna going out the door, you know, maybe he was thinking moving Considine into centre half and, and having, uh, low at left back. So thankfully that, you know, it didn't turn out to be, to be the case. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's a strange one. I can see the, I can see the thinking behind it. I suppose, uh, you know, Considine's, for me, he's, he's, he's always been solid in there, but he's, he's definitely, you know, he's getting on now and, um, he's, he's not providing, or he doesn't provide much of an attacking um, threat down that left hand side. So, yeah, I like I liked what I seen at Low yesterday. I thought he was uh, he was keen to get forward and had, uh, had plenty of energy about him. So, yeah, him and uh, him and Logan bombing forward from fullbacks uh, could could be a, a, a decent outlet for us. Um, but yeah, so certainly a bit surprised when I woke up on. Uh, Whatever morning that was after the transfer window shut and, uh, you know, kind of refreshed the Twitter feed hoping to see that we'd sign somebody late on, but, uh, wasn't to be. So, yeah, we'll, we'll go with what we've got, I suppose, and, um, see, see where that takes us until, until the next window in, uh, in January. I'd expect a few more to be coming in then, to be fair. I think, uh, we're still, still light on numbers, um, squad steps, and I think we've, Sounds like we've picked up a couple of injuries over the past couple of days as well, which is, which is going to leave us even more, uh, more exposed. Yeah, is there any concern to you, Mark, that you know some of the signings already seem to be having issues with recurring injuries? And that's Tommy Hoban going to be out for two to three months now with a shoulder. That's admittedly not a recurring injury, but it's again, it's another fairly long-term injury that he's picked up. Yeah, it definitely seems like a concern. Hoban's out. How long's Wilson out for? He's out for. Well, do we know it? Do we know that yet? Talk is back after the international break, but but who knows? Yeah. Okay, and and well, we've got Reynolds out, we've had McKenna out. It's all yeah, it's it's, it's bad luck, and that's maybe why we've signed a left back as well. Um, that's maybe why Lowe's come in because we don't have we don't have Reynolds. Uh, Considine's being kind of utilised in a different position, so maybe that's why he's been brought in for cover. Um, yeah, I, I kind of agree with what the gentlemen are saying there. I think we. Uh, Creative midfielder is what we're looking for, but maybe writes that person who's another player who's who's out injured. Um, maybe hopefully we're getting all these injuries out the way, and then the rest of the season is is plain sailing. I like that, Mark. You're calling your fellow guest gentlemen. That's a touch of class and sophistication we need on this podcast. It might not be true, but that is what we need. Uh, we should definitely talk about the Scott McKenna um, uh, bids. Um, however. Accurately, they have been described or otherwise. The Aston Villa report, uh, bid was reported to be a loan because they can't make permanent signings at this point in time, with the option to buy for seven million was a figure quoted, but I believe it was quite a bit short of that. You know, a lot of people have said all down this process that all oh, the board will sell McKenna at the first seven-figure offer, but that's definitely not been the case, and they are holding out. It seems for a really good payday. I mean, are you resigned to him leaving in January, um, Ryan? Is it? Is it? Do you think that's inevitable, or you know, what do you hope for for Scott McKenna? Do you want to see a whole season out of him here? Because in a way, that's probably what he needs to back up what he did last year. Yeah, I mean, you, you kind of mentioned it there. He does need to have kind of a, a second good season to kind of prove that he wasn't just a, a one-season wonder. And it's a bit unfortunate, or maybe is fortunate, he got his injury around about the end of the transfer window. Um, 
I don't know. I do think that if he comes back and plays to the ability we all know he's capable of up until January, I do think there will be some more significant bids um, from down south. Um, I mean, the reported bid, I mean, it was just kind of lose your player, lose one of your best players for half a season and then we'll decide whether we want to pay you or not. It wasn't, it was, seemed a bit of a strange deal. If we were to accept it, I could have seen a lot of criticism if we had accepted it, but I do think that McKenna will be gone um, by the end of the season, if not January. Martin, I, I think a lot of fans are, are sort of obviously pleased he's staying, but are, are doubly pleased that we flatly turned down Celtic. Yeah, I think that would have been a, a hard one to, to take if he'd, if he'd gone, uh, gone down there. I think, you know, if he goes goes down south for big money, he goes with everybody's best wishes, but if, he, if he'd gone there, that would have been a, a hard one to take, regardless of the, the money we would have got from. So, uh, no, I've been pretty impressed with the, the club's handling of the McKenna in that situation. It's uh, not often I'm <laughs> overly kind of praising the, the, the boards up, but uh, I think they've done well uh, in, in turning down these bids and um, you know, providing he comes back uh, from this injury and he's uh, he's keeping up the same same form that he showed before, I think he will go for for good money in, in uh, January. Uh, and you know, it kind of just shows the 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 the, the youth setup is uh, producing these uh, these good players. So yeah, it's uh, it's been handled pretty pretty well all around. I'm uh, I'm pretty chuffed with it. And uh, yeah, as I say, another good season. Hopefully, out of him and uh, he'll go he'll go with the best wishes. It sounds as if no one's really quite happy with the squad strength. I mean, we do have a lot of numbers, but maybe the quality is a bit lacking. Especially as we've spoken about, we think of guys like Forrester who have been brought in for money, not really providing a return. Some of the other new signings in and out of the team already. There's not really been much which has added to the quality of the first eleven from last season. Is that a fair assessment, Mark? Yeah, I think that's 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 fair. I don't think they're. I don't think we are improved from last year. But an interesting kind of an interesting idea, I suppose, is if we had sold McKenna, would the money raised strengthen the squad further? You know, if if we had, I don't know, if we'd accepted three million from Celtic or this promise of cash from Aston Villa somewhere down the road, could we have then solved the problems? I I, I love McKenna. I want him to be here for as long as McKenna wants to be here. But hypothetically speaking, if we had sold him, would all these issues that we're talking about now, would they have been solved? What What do you think? Well, I think the difficulty that we're always going to have, even if we get £10 million for Scott McKenna, is this, we're going to have a limit on what we can offer on wages because we want to run as a sustainable club going forward. I think even if you got £10 million in, that doesn't mean that you can go out and buy a, a £10 million player. Far from it. I think no, there's, no, no. there's always going to be a, a, a limit to the type of player we can attract because we're not going to bust the wage barrier. Um, I do wonder just what... You know how much quality we can find on our wage budget, but of course you look at other Scottish teams, and they seem to be able to exploit the market. But maybe that's a grass is always greener thing. What do you think, Ryan? I would su- suggest that I'm not entirely happy with the squad that is. I do think he's almost duffed the transfer market a wee bit by bringing in sort of these guys with reputable sort of stature, if you like, in the way of. Wilson um, and Hoban but they're injury prone that's why they've ended up at a club like Aberdeen on loan I mean Wilson's out 
injured, so is Hoban for two to three months. I mean, you'd almost suggest that would you send Hoban back to Watford and get somebody else in if they knew about it um, after the Hibs game? I think I would have been considering it. I don't know, it's a wee bit light and then you consider the fact that we spent over 500k on Forrester and Stevie May who um given us anything in the way of positivity uh, especially Forrester, we just we've spent a decent amount of money on him and we've not really seen him in action at all uh, and you consider the fact that we could have had Louis Moult for 500,000 when uh, he was at Motherwell, it's um I mean, it is a ifs and buts, but it just seems a bit... It's not the most shrewd of uh, transfer um, policy, if you like. So I'm joined now by Don's fan, John Bleasdale. Now, John's arranging a charity match over the international break for a cause very close to his heart. Now, John, can you explain a bit about uh, the game and what it's for? Yeah, certainly. It's uh, an Aberdeen uh, versus Celtic over 35 game. Um features uh, supporters obviously over the age of 35 um, and as you can imagine a lot of us over that age uh, have no real fitness and will need a bit of help so we've called in uh, with the assistance of a few ex-players um, so for the Aberdeen side we've got Phil Maguire, we've got David Rousen, Darren Young and uh, just last week confirmed uh, Robbie Winters but um, fortunately from Robbie's point of view um, he'll not be using goal, he'll play up front. <laughs> Yes, uh, probably more at home up there in fairness, in fairness. And uh, so is there still an opportunity for Don's fans to take part in this game or to sponsor or, you know, what can be done? And presumably this is uh, for a for a charitable cause. Yeah, it's for cancer charity. Um, just to give you a, a quick backdrop as to why I'm doing it for them specifically. Four years ago today, well the 2nd of September um, 2014, I was diagnosed with uh, thyroid cancer um, and I was seen very quickly by the Beatson um, to get over it very quickly. It came at a, an awkward time because I was due to become a dad um, in the early part of 2015 and I was seen at the very earliest opportunity um, and thankfully that meant I could be back in time to prepare for the birth of my first child. He came four weeks early on the 2nd of January 2015, um, St. Callum. So now I want to give something back to the beats in. The playing spots are unfortunately all taken up, um, unless there's a few dropouts, um, which can always happen the week leading up to these events. Uh, but certainly in terms of... Um, we would love people to come down to Falkirk Stadium. £5 for adults and £1 for children. Uh, but if anyone can't get along but wants to contribute, I do have a Just Giving page. Uh, it's website www.justgiving.com forward slash fundraising forward slash Don's Sales Over 35s. And I'll post that on Twitter. Okay, yeah, and we've shared that obviously uh, on our new Twitter account, um, and that's AFC Here We Go. Uh, but John himself is uh, jbleasdale81 on Twitter. Um, so tell us a bit more about. The Beats and John. Um, I mean, is this is this a hospice? Is it a charity? The Beats and is a, it's called the the, the Beats and Cancer Centre down in Glasgow. Um, it's next to the old Gat Naval Hospital. Um, that's been around for a while. It was actually featured in the BBC documentary um, a few months ago. It's a specialist cancer centre, and they've got advanced treatments um, to help people with people with this disease if it's caught early enough. Of course, there's no proper known cure for cancer but what the Beatson do is they're trying to work with other, um, other cancer research companies to try and um, 
get more advanced treatments to find the proper cure. But uh, what they do with their advanced treatments is they can, if they can treat people early enough, they're able to rid people of it, um, you know, straight away, like they did with myself and um, many others. And the, the, the charity itself has only been going for four years, something I didn't know when I first started doing a bit of fundraising for them. Um, so the money's all going to a wonderful cause. And, um, but, yeah, so it's, it's probably not, not well known up your neck of the woods, um, but certainly down the central belt where I'm from, um, the Beatson's pretty much an institution, really. And um, we certainly want to do as much as we can to... Um, bring money into them because they did wonders for myself and a few friends that I know and I want to give some back so they continue their fantastic work. Well obviously it's an illness which I'm sure have touched uh, many many uh, friends and families of Don's fans out there so uh, I'm sure there'll be uh, a great amount of support for that John. So once again the game itself is next Sunday the 9th of September at Falkirk Stadium, is that, that right? That's correct yeah, Falkirk Stadium is a quarter past one kick-off um, we're hoping that fans can be coming around for round about one. Um, there's also going to be a raffle for so many prizes. It's a pound a strip. Um, the main prize being a copy of the um, Glory of Gothenburg book by Richard Gordon, uh, one of your friends to the podcast, and he signed it as well and sent that to me. So thank you very much, Richard. And there's plenty of other prizes um, that will be available in the day. Um, so, yeah, we're looking forward to it. I forgot to mention as well, the Celtic players, they've been a wee bit trickier to get because... There's the Stelly Petrov game the day before, um, which is raising money for a lot of cancer charities because of what happened to him. Beatson's benefiting from what, um, part of the sales from that. Well, that's great. So if you want to get the opportunity to obviously help a great cause, see some former Dons in action, and also see some regular punters make a, a mess of themselves, you can do that next Sunday at the Falkirk Stadium at 1.15. Uh, so, John, thank you very much for coming on. Thanks, Richard. Take care. Okay, we we knew this podcast would be quite a heavy listen, quite a quite a downbeat episode, and that's even without having Martin on. Hi, Martin. Um, but uh, to counteract that, we thought we'd resurrect the feedback topic that we asked Twitter ahead of our very very first ever show way back in July 2015, uh, and it'll sound different because it's different guests and different people who now follow us on Twitter. So we asked you quite simply for your favourite Aberdeen goal. Now, your favourite doesn't mean the technically best goal or the most important goal. It just means what was really important to you and why. That's a very personal thing. Mark, do you want to be personal with us? <laughs> it's a bit creepy. Uh, I, um, I, don't, I, I don't know. I knew you were going to come to me first there as well for some reason. There's so many, isn't there? But the best goal since you brought the topic up last time is McKenna's against Kilmarnock his wonder bastard goal that was some goal I, that will never uh, yeah I've... there were there are, there are loads you know at the other end of the scale there's there's Darren Mackey again against Kilmarnock I think wasn't it uh, off the back of his head and in uh, so yeah we'll stick with the Kilmarnock theme and that's my two favourite goals 
And yeah, Pesco, since we last asked that question, is a reasonable way of looking at it. But yeah, that mechanical was uh, from a how the fuck did he do that point of view is uh, was an amazing <laughs> moment, an absolutely astonishing moment. But yeah, we went out to Twitter and um, once again, thank you very much for your responses. So first of all, Tony Much says Davy Dodd's second equaliser versus the now defunct Rangers in the 1988 League Cup final is always a favourite of mine. Great build-up, magnificent header. Not sure that goal's as well remembered as it should be. Um, certainly from my point of view, that seemed like it took an absolute eternity to drop into the net after Dodds had headed it. Like, a good 10, 15 seconds before it came back down to earth, that one. Obviously, we ultimately got edged out again that uh, afternoon, 3-2 on that occasion. It just made the following year's win at hand and all the sweeter, I can assure you. Uh, Discuss Dandies on Twitter. They um, say it's always hard to pick just one favourite, but I'll go for a more recent one. Rory Fallon's volley against Hibs at Hamden. Simply because it was Rory fucking Fallon. (laughs) 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 We went on to lose the game, of course, but hope that doesn't bring the mood down again. Well, I'm not sure we could take it down any further, but but yeah, in terms of, you know, if you think your centre-half scoring from 40 yards was, was astonishing enough, Rory Fallon doing that, surely, after the season he'd had to that point, no one could have predicted that. <laughs> Neil McPherson, uh, late Hans Heelhouse winner in 1991 at Petaudry. First time I'd seen us beat the now defunct Rangers and kept the title race alive. Yeah, back then what would happen was that um, towards the end of the game, obviously the doors would be open at Petaudry. And at that point, some Rangers fans who didn't have tickets actually came in and sat down beside us in the old wing stand where we were, um, obviously hoping to see them clinch a famous nil-nil draw. I can assure you they got seen off in spectacular fashion when Heelhouse scored that winner uh, late on. It, uh, it looked as if it wouldn't mean that much, but obviously it meant we took things down to a last day at Ibox, but less said about that particular day, the better. Uh, Cameron Christie still loved Rooney's versus Hibbs in the semi-final. Couldn't believe we'd taken a lead so early on. Yeah, late goals are something wonderful about late goals, but there's also something incredible about, you know, you've literally just kicked off and you're ahead. That is always a great feeling. Uh, Ryan, what about yourself? Uh, I think I'd um, thought out Johnny Hayes' um, strike against Motherwell in that League Cup game um, in the year we won it in 2014. Just uh, after going down, it was a freezing cold night in uh, North Lanarkshire after going down to 10 men early on. I mean, exact exact opposite. They should have had a look at that, how to play after going down to 10 men. I think that was the last game Shaughnessy might have played for the club, actually. Um, just before Logan came in. Um, so we're down to the 10 men for about 80-odd minutes. Um, and then, obviously, Considine put us ahead, I think it was. But then... Uh, the sort of last minute goal where Johnny Hayes broke up the pitch and just absolutely thumped it into the top hand corner um, to kind of secure the win um, and also went on to win the cup so that was a, um, one of my favourite goals Yeah that was that was some night but interesting you bring up an occasion when we did go down 10 men so very early on and were able to uh, able to respond on that night mm, Better days Yeah um, <laughs> a, a lot of people will rightly suggest that we have regressed from that first season. I'm not sure the evidence necessarily says that, but in terms of silverware, obviously it, it does. There was a 
certainly a much more optimistic feel amongst the support. A less jaded feel about the support. We'd been so rubbish for so long that I think people were just so excited that you know we'd we'd, we'd gone and won away at Motherwell on a cup tie and looked as if <laughs> hey we might even make a final. You know that was the sort of limit of our ambitions back then, to be honest. But uh, nowadays, you know, if, if there would be. If we only won by two, people would be getting upset in that situation, I kind of feel. <laughs> Back to Twitter. Uh, Stuart McMichael, Duncan Shearer's goal that effectively relegated Dundee United in 1995. I'd never heard a noise like it when it went in. Who are Dundee United? Who are they? Anyone? No, no, no. Mark Keith, Jess against Hearts, the match after Alex Muller was sacked. Um, I, don't know if anyone doesn't remember that, but uh, it was a standard Jess special. Gets the ball on the halfway line, outpaces four or five Hearts defenders and bangs one into the corner. Um, at the time, Mark says, celebrating it felt like such a relief that everything was going to be okay. We then had eight months of Paul Haggerty, heavy schooled out and Steve <laughs> Patterson. I should have known better. Yeah, he should have done. You should have done, Mark. But uh, I think if you can't celebrate things like that to the fullest at the time, there really is no point. Uh, Fraser Curry says uh, Paul Kane's goal at Ibrox uh, that's an often overlooked one um, but it's a, a magnificent Don's move which takes him up the park in about six passes and Paul Kane of all people manages to, to hammer it uh, into the back of the net uh, Jeremy Wood it goes for Zoltan Varga's chip in the 2-3 loss to Celtic way back when I think it was 1972 um, that Zoltan had his only season with us Level of skill was sublime compared to the rest of the team. Also remember that even Express later used a picture for Fix the Bar. Now, Zoltan Varga is he's an interesting character because there's, there's a school of thought that says, oh, you know, why is he regarded as a Don's legend? He was only here for one season. It was an unsuccessful season. But I think everyone that's, that saw him in the flesh says much the same thing about him, that he just was a spectacular talent and, and as Jeremy points out so far ahead of uh, the other guys in the team that he was worth watching almost on his own Martin what about yourself what's your what's your favourite John's goal uh, yeah I was having to think about this one it's probably going to be um, Jamie Smith's winner against uh, the old Rangers back in oh, God knows what year it was 2005 maybe uh, yeah 3-2 last minute winner I think it was uh, right in front of the, the Dick Donald and uh, probably there for the goal itself just the, the celebration round about it I think we've only beaten them for, for years and years uh, it certainly felt that way anyway and uh, yeah him just getting the, getting the goal at the time of the game he did the celebrations were round about us were just mental um, had a, went and had a, a good night out after it as well <laughs> Sunday I remember um, had a good night out ended up having the phone in sick for work on a Monday morning so <laughs> it was uh, yeah it was, uh, it was a good one uh, still uh, still stick it on uh, YouTube every now and again just uh, get, a wee, get a wee shiver every time I see it so uh, it's probably, probably that one for me ah the classic Tory holiday <laughs> <laughs> Sandy Forsyth says Joe Miller East End Park in a relegation playoff game finally the goal that signalled the torture was over well, as we said in an earlier comment, in 1995, you probably did think the torture was over. But who knew what was to come in the years to follow? Um, Billy, Billy G says, he loves every goal the Dons have scored, but all I'll say is Wood stays, Nicholas scores. Uh, that oh, yes. famous, <laughs> uh, famous moment at Pataudry in a rather towsy afternoon in 1988. Neil Pickard, uh, 
pantyhouses over kicking his overhead kick on his debut. Um, we've we've done great debuts of the past before. Um, I don't think they come any finer than Heelhouse's moment. Mark Caskett goes for another um, well-loved Don Stryker. Well, well-loved in some households. Darren Mackey's goal uh, versus the Pro that took us through to the um, UEFA Cup, as it was, group stages in 2008. Um, Muzzy says the only answer possible for a lot of us young guns is Adam Rooney's penalty kick on March the 16th. 2013. Absolute relief and ecstasy all at once. Uh, that was a big moment. I mean, do you, any of you recall just what that felt like when that hit the net? Delirium. That's a, that's a good word. Absolutely. Absolutely, Ryan. People slightly older maybe um, might have thought we, we've seen this all before, but it, it still meant a hell of a lot, didn't it, Mark? Yeah, of course. Just total relief, celebration, you know. Uh, that's what that goal meant. Really weird after the game, though. Like There was no kind of celebration. You know, there was no kind of singing along the road, going back into the city centre. I always found that a little bit weird. But it was 120 minutes of shite that we'd watched. So maybe people were just tired. I think everyone was just emotionally drained more than tired. Emotionally drained is probably a better description of, yeah, 120 minutes of shite. You're absolutely right. <laughs> that whole long walk back in the city centre, it was it was quite funereal. But mm-hmm. after, I think, probably two or three beers in the pub, things started to, to pack <laughs> up. And I'm sure if you were on a bus back or on, on, on a train back, then it was the same. There's maybe a little bit quiet for an hour, and then, you know, you got your second wind. You just realised what had happened and, and, you know, what had been done. Um, certainly, we won, I think, the last train back from Glasgow to Aberdeen that day, having to fight through what seemed like a, a, the last escape from Saigon at Glasgow Queen Street Station to fight our way onto the train, basically. Um, and that was good fun. That was good fun, that train ride north. And then, obviously, making sure we went out when we got back into town. So that's a very special day, I think, regardless of if, if it was your only cup win that, you, that you've seen the Dons uh, do or whether it was your 15th or whatever. It was a, yeah, a big day. Sadovic goes for big ex-curler in a 92 Scottish Cup final. For a centre-half, that was such a delicate finish. Yep, the second um, rather astounding finish from a centre-half that's been brought up on this. But that was a hugely important goal for not only winning the Cup that day, for what then followed. Stephen Christie says Andy Dow's Scottish Cup semi-final, uh, 2000. That very sweet volley at the end of uh, Avald Stavrum's knockdown. But a special mention to Simon Church's winner at Park Thistle that kept a potential title dream alive. Uh, it, it felt that way at the time, Stephen, no question about it. That also had the benefit of being the second goal within a couple of minutes. That's always special as well. Uh, Matt McLachlan, um, he goes for another Jamie Smith one. He says his first versus Copenhagen, uh, limbs all over the shop. But then he's the first of two people, and you'll be surprised at this, to pick a Chris Clark goal. Chris Clark probably <laughs> wouldn't have many mentions in Great Aberdeen goals, but we've got two of them here. Uh, he says his late winner at Tynecastle a week after being humped there in the Cup. Yeah, it was a heavily deflected winner that dribbled into the corner. It wasn't a full dawn's end that day, far from it, and it was pouring with rain. I got soaked to the skin, but we'd gone so long without getting a result at Tynecastle. I mean, you spoke earlier on, um, Martin about how the Rangers win 
meant a lot in 2007 or 2006, I think it was, because it had been so many years. But that was the same at Tynecastle. Then Gary Smith is the second one to... I don't think it's that Gary Smith, by the way. Is the second one to uh, <laughs> suggest Chris Clark, his 97th minute winner versus Hibs. There's no exaggeration there. It was in the 97th minute. At Easter Road on the opening day of the 2002-2003 season. Again, in other seasons, when you when you snatch that winning opening day and you think, this is going to be a great season. I think Ebby Scovedale was gone within three months and Steve Patterson was appointed. Um, Stephen goes for a, um, a very... Uh, up there with the most famous goals of all time. He, he says the Bayern confusion routine pre-kick. Well, they couldn't agree, obviously. Or Darren Mackey's million-pound goal versus Nico. Uh Chris says the Scott Severin goal versus the now defunct Rangers um, that took us on our way to a 2-0 win that qualified us for Europe in 2007. Michael Sutherland uh, opts for Niall McGinn's goal. Um, his... Um, yeah, he just got one that day, didn't he? In the 3-1 winning his hearts at Tynecastle in, um, I think it was, was it September 2015? Anyway, it was a game which took us to six straight league wins, having beat Hart, uh, Celtic at Pataudry the week before. And he said that at halftime in that game, nobody could quite believe how good we were. And it felt like the start of something. Unfortunately, it was just the pinnacle of where we got to at the start of that season. And that definitely is... A one that got away in a lot of respects as to what then happened uh, to the rest of September and into October that year. Uh, for my one, I like Mark's approach. I'm going to suggest, um, obviously I would have said one way back when on show number one. But I got to say, I was fortunate enough to be down at uh, Burnley recently. And obviously we ultimately went out, but being in that crowd... Being right up at the segregation for that Lewis Ferguson overhead kick was just immense. You know, people talk about the support these days being sanitised or people not caring as much as they used to. When you're in the middle of that, what utter, utter nonsense. Um, so that was that was very a very special moment, and I think I've still just about got the bruises to prove it. <laughs> but again, thank you so much for your interaction on Twitter, that's always what this show has been built on. If we'd stopped doing these things, it's only because we ran out of ideas <laughs> to ask you about. Um, so, your show, made by Dons, for Dons. Thank you. And the Dons appearing tonight were Mark Elwick. Mark, thank you very much. Thank you. Pleasure. Thanks for the invite. Ryan Crombie, do check out, if you haven't already, but I'm sure you have, Red Point of View, both the blog and the digital fanzine. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you. Thank you for the plug, so I don't need to. <laughs> well, OK, I, I, won't plug, I won't plug Martin Stone's blog, but his blog's also very good. You should go and, you should go and read it. What's the address, Martin? It is on modernman.net. Perfect. <laughs> it's not updated fairly regularly these days, but um, I do my best. Can you, can you say that again? I, I missed that. I was just writing it down. Can you say it again, please, Martin? <laughs> It is www.modernman.net. Thank you, thank you. Excellent, excellent. Hold on, hold on. Did, did Mark plug his website? I don't need to, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, such a big shot. Such a big shot. Let's see if we can be different when we had, you know